You are tuning in to an archived episode of the Tommy's Outdoors Conservation and Science Podcast. After you finish listening to it, why not take a moment to listen to one of the most recent episodes? I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Hello, everybody. This is Tommy's Outdoors 49. And our guest today is a young adventure junkie, Tomas McIntyre. Tom was already our guest in episode 16 when we talked about his uh, cycle through United States and at that time he was planning another adventure uh, and he was planning to cycle from Cairo Egypt down to Cape Town South Africa and um, he did it now he's back and I'm absolutely stoked to have him on the podcast again and talk with Tom about his great adventure Um, so we go into uh, a lot of detail and uh, we tracking Tom um, from the start of his trip down to the very finish of his trip. And uh, Tom will share with us his thoughts, what he's seen, what he experienced. So it's uh, another great adventure episode. If you're into cycling, if you're into traveling to exotic countries, or maybe you love Africa, this is definitely an episode that you will enjoy. So ladies and gentlemen, Please welcome Tomas McIntyre. Welcome back. Yeah, it's, we were saying it's about a year when I was last on. Yes, yes. And we were talking then about your, your adventure uh, when you were cycling through the United States. And you were only saying that, yeah, I'm planning that great trip uh, down the length of Africa. And I think at the time you had also a lot of questions in your mind rather than answers. <laughs> and here you are, one year later, done. You, you did it. You, you cycled, right? From, from Egypt till to South Africa. Yeah, yeah. Happy to be back in, in one piece. Uh, surprised that I, I managed to, to get through it. Um, tough journey but <laughs> yeah just settling back into I suppose normal life again uh, a bit up and down but it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's improving it's getting there now so just I was, there was there was first thing I I was asking myself and it was probably first question that I wanted to ask like how does it feel I mean like now you're how many months you're, since you're back um, just over a month I think just over the month yeah, since yeah. you're back yeah um so it's fairly fairly fresh but i i mean is it is it feeling like something is missing because you were like in this mode of of traveling for so long and i would imagine like when you when you back into your like a normal life it's like do you have a feeling something is missing something is like where you know yeah i suppose that's just that day-to-day sensation of 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 adventurement just going from place new place to new place every day seeing new things meeting new people learning new things uh being someplace different at the end of every day and then you're you know mm. you're you're back home and you're back into the same bed same routine same family mm, same exactly. friends so you kind of just lose that thrill of uh of adventurement but look i mean you know it's it's hard to sustain that lifestyle every day for the rest of your life so <laughs> that's why they're called adventures you do them you come home you go again you come home and mm. until until you stop doing them really and i suppose real life begins to take over and mm-hmm. you kind of just don't have the free time to do it anymore mm-hmm. um but no look i mean I, i'm happy i'm home it's good to be home i bet i bet you because that yeah. must be like you know i was thinking well, that must be that weird thing because obviously you were missing home and you're yeah i'm back home but then you kind of say like yeah it's this something is is do you still feel it yeah. or are you kind of back into a into a normal um yeah getting back into it now um just kind of came home and met up with friends and stuff like that family etc and then just kind of went straight back into work because i just wanted to keep myself as busy as possible because mm-hmm. i found that when i wasn't busy that's when kind of the uh, post blue trips uh, sorry the post trip blues would kick in mm. And uh, I'd find myself getting down very quickly and just m- and missing Africa. But I knew that was going to happen because the same happened when I came home from, from America a few years right. ago. At least, thankfully, this time I came home and it was summertime. And I knew that <laughs> there was going to be people around, enough to keep me busy, back into work and stuff like that. And 
Yeah, I pl- applied for college last mm-hmm. week. Oh yeah, actually, congratulations, mate. Yeah, you were accepted. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I applied Monday and I got accepted Wednesday, which was pretty quick for a master's in international relations up in Dublin. So at least I have something to look forward to now because mm-hmm. I was stuck in a bit of a limbo. Right. You know, thinking, do I stay at home for the winter? Do I go on another trip? Am I going back to college? Am I mm-hmm. going to focus on work? Maybe because yeah. I, you know, I do cycling tours with my uncle, and like, you know, I could have stayed around and maybe develop that a bit more. But yeah, I decided to go go back to school mm-hmm. again. So yeah. very good. So very at good. least that'll keep me tied down for a year, and mm-hmm. we'll see after that. Then and we'll then another be, trip, right? <laughs> may, yeah, no, pro- I don't know, probably not. They take a lot out, out of you mentally, physically, mm-hmm. emotionally. So um, it's interesting that because at one at one end and one end, like you said, it takes a lot physically and mentally, but then he also said you're you're actually missing it when you're back. It's yeah, it's just it's mixed feelings really. Some days you miss it, and other days you're glad it's over. Yes, but look, you know. <laughs> I'll keep traveling, but I don't have to keep traveling the way that I'm I'm doing at the moment, going mm-hmm. on these gigantic bike rides. I can just mm-hmm. backpack or something right. more less stressful next time, maybe, or just right. just go on a on a normal trip to Europe or something like that. <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> that's perfectly acceptable as well. Yes, 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 um, yes, yes. So I think these crazy bike rides, or else you can just do shorter bike rides. Mm-hmm. I don't need to go for like I was in Africa for seven months. I don't need to go for seven months next time. Mm-hmm. You can. I've done smaller trips like America was seven weeks. Mm-hmm. I've done a couple of week land trips to Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do just regular trips yeah. like that as so well. So, do you is it, is it part of you that says like, well, it was a little bit too much? Uh, a bit, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm stubborn. So, although there was a few times I wanted to kind of tap out and and, and finish up in Africa, mm-hmm. I just the goal was always Cape Town. Mm-hmm. No matter if I had to, you know, cycle, run, or crawl, you know, that was yeah. always the main goal was get to Cape Town. So, um, but yeah, no, look, it did take a lot out of me. Um, it was a great trip, loved it, loved it, but it, it was tough mentally, physically, mm-hmm. uh, emotionally. But got there in the end, and I'm happy that I got there. Yeah. And um, we yeah. were all we were all kind of uh, looking at your updates and saying like, what Tom is up today? Yeah. And like, here's here, he's <laughs> here. Like, so that was great. Yeah. Um, so okay so you're you're saying that perhaps it it it, it took it like was there any moment at, the, at any any moment where you know you kind of got in the groove and you just keep going because this is this is how i at least impression that i had uh by following your updates that initially it was a little bit up and down it was like it was great and there was a little bit you know rougher yeah. moments and then probably well i don't know i don't I, this is this is my impression like uh, from some point in time it seemed like you you've been solidly like yeah i'm doing that and it was like day and another day and another day was was that like was that just my impression over over your updates or whether it was, it was like that that at some point it was like yeah i'm just going and doing this yeah no it definitely was um i mean the up and downs kind of started straight away I mean, the guy I was staying with in Cairo, um, his name is Mustafa. He put me up for a week because his wife is from Waterford. She's Irish mm-hmm. and he's a local Egyptian, but he comes to Ireland quite often. But I spent a week with him mm-hmm. and the day I left him, I actually, the first day of the cycle, I cried because mm-hmm. I knew that, you know, this is it now. This is, mm-hmm. I'm this actually is happening. doing this. Like, <laughs> uh, I enjoyed his company for the week. I got really attached to him. We still stay in contact now. And then I just knew that from there on that that was it. That was kind of, mm-hmm. that was just going to be the trend for the trip. You're going to meet people. You're going to attach yourself to them, enjoy their company. And then you're going to leave them to go back out on the bike by yourself. And mm-hmm. I mean, I live in a pub at home, so I'm used to having people around all the time. Like mm-hmm. we live above the bar. So anytime I want company, mm-hmm. I just go downstairs. So to be going from a lifestyle where you're constantly around people to being in Africa and yeah. Within a week, you're cycling inside, or within, I think it was two weeks, are you're cycling inside the Sahara Desert all by yourself. Mm-hmm. It's just, you're thrown from one world into another, and it's like yeah. the polar opposite, really, being yeah. coming from a small village mm-hmm. to being thrown into the the yeah. depthness of the of the gigantic Sahara yeah. Desert. Yeah. Uh, but look, there were the challenges that were ahead of me, and I mean, you can only play with what's ahead of you. Mm-hmm. So but so you had a, like a hard moment straight away, right off the bat. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, some people wouldn't see them as being hard. Maybe I'm just soft. Mm-hmm. 
mentally. No, you're not. I don't know. You see, <laughs> this is it. I can tell you I'm that <laughs> you just cycled, you know, <laughs> the, through the whole Africa on your own on the bike. So that, that's not yeah. what soft people do. I, don't know, I can I guarantee you, yeah. like, it's not what soft people do. I've never cried so much in my life out there. But then again, maybe you just needed these breakdowns to get through it. Because mm. I, I don't know. I just thought that all all these crying sessions were just to make me stronger and, yeah. and better and mentally tougher. And I think that's what worked out in the end because. But then again, I mean, I had my like just my biggest breakdown came in Zambia, and after that, then I don't think I cried after. I think when I finished in Cape Town, I cried when I saw Table Mountain, but that was it then. Just mm -hmm. I think I had my there was a build up to this big mental crack, and it took mm -hmm. I think nearly five five and a half months for it to happen. Mm -hmm. But I knew it was going to happen at some stage yeah. because I knew for me to finish the trip, I'd have to mentally crack yeah. and kind of hit rock bottom. Mm -hmm. and that uh, that i wanted that to happen because i was like if i can hit rock bottom out here all by myself then and if i can pick up the pieces and, and continue on and finish then at least anytime i come to life challenges that <laughs> i know that i've hit rock bottom and that mm -hmm. i know i can get past it that right i hit rock bottom in the middle of nowhere in zambia and i mm -hmm. picked up the pieces and got through it and if i can do that again with proper support from family friends whenever mm -hmm. it'll happen again at least i'll be at home or ideally at home mm -hmm. or a better network around me um as in with people actually around me yeah. not just calling home that yeah. even being like oh well this happened today yeah it's it's incredible yeah. and you know it's incredibly mature and profound what you're saying you know um about the mental aspect of it have you have you have any discussions about with like psychologists or anyone before that trip since you knew that it's gonna happen did you prepare yourself in any way for this no no i like i said i just wanted it to happen because um i knew that if i didn't have if all these breakdowns weren't happening that it was just too easy that mm. it wasn't challenging um i just really wanted a life challenge that would kind of get me out of my comfort zone and to put me probably in a scenario that i never expected myself to be in mm -hmm. and i think that's when you kind of truly test yourself as when you're vulnerable, isolated, and you're you feel down and you want to quit, that that's when you just kind of kind of yeah kind of find the inner strength inside you to kind of crawl out of whatever hole wow. that you've kind of got yourself into, um, whether it was a because of physical reasons or or in my case mental reasons. But um, yeah, mm. no, I'm just delighted I stuck with it because, like I said, like in Zambia. I had decided to quit. I was done and dusted. I that morning I just couldn't stop crying for two hours. Mm. Um, climbing up this hill and when I got to the top I just broke down at the side of the road and I remember I text into my family group chat, but thankfully they were all asleep because I text in early in the morning mm -hmm. saying that I was done. I was going to get to Lusaka, take a bit of time out and just fly home whenever I felt ready to go home. But um yeah, just whatever happened, like I was said. Was it like loneliness that that got, got Um to? there was a few different reasons, I suppose. Loneliness was one of them. I think just the fact that I've been on the road five months mm -hmm. and like I said, you're meeting people, you're getting attached, you're living off your bike, you can't really settle anywhere because you can I mean, I spent like a f a week in one place and maybe a few days in another place when I felt that I needed some days off. Mm -hmm. Um and I wasn't stuck to any strict deadline that i had to keep going if i needed time off i took the time off that i needed because yeah. i knew that's something else that you need to do yeah is that when you're struggling just take a step back and just mm -hmm. kind of get yourself right again and to continue on um wow but yeah no i mean look i got through it in the end and i suppose at least it'll set me up now for for future life challenges that wow no no I got through it's that by myself that i'll be ready for anything else that the world threw at me absolutely and 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 look this is this is just awesome what you said uh and, and i must say quite incredible that you're you almost expected that you that that was uh something that you know it's it's like a really archetypical story that you're going into the place that you know is the darkest and the, the scariest and you know it's gonna happen but you still go there to to face that and you've just done it it's 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 incredible wow okay listen so for maybe for people who haven't heard the previous episode what made you to do that like was was that what we just said the the reason you wanted to do that you want to challenge yourself or was that like something that you discovered as you were thinking about it and 
and and and preparing for it was it the initial thought that made you to do that, um, that yeah it was one of the reasons um i suppose just a love for traveling as well i mean look africa in today's world it, the perception we have is this crazy dangerous place mm -hmm. unlawful famine civil war mm -hmm. people just rampaging around killing each other day all day night um and i just kind of i knew it wasn't like that because i've spoken to people who've been out there and they all just describe it as this wonderful place mm -hmm. uh, full of beauty just the nicest people you'll meet so and then like I'm, i love cycling and like i said like we spoke about before i'd done the america trip before and mm -hmm. i mean that was a great trip but i don't think it was what i was looking for so i wanted and then this leads into the other reason i just wanted to do kind of something just stupid and crazy really mm -hmm. and i just thought that you know you'll obviously go out there and backpack and travel around and fly mm -hmm. from whatever country to country i wanted to see but i was like it would be very ballsy to cycle it from top to bottom mm -hmm. um i'd never been to africa before mm -hmm. um i'd just spoken to people about it but i kind of looked into it and it looked reasonably safe to do it mm -hmm. and there was just kind of a i wouldn't say like a route or network but the route that I had looked at, it seemed to be the safest one to do. Now, there was one or two countries that things could mm -hmm. kick off in. And one of the countries, Ethiopia, tends to kick off, but mm -hmm. got through it safely. Um, but yeah, just Africa is just this magical place. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. And, and you you witness like how it how it really is, what you say, like rather than what people are feeding others in yeah. the news. You yeah. actually being there and you talked with regular folks and you could see how it actually is. Yeah, I mean, obviously you you met the folks in the city, but I think it's the it's the countryside where you truly see a country when mm -hmm. you get off the, the beaten track and find the small villages and 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 the, and the small towns and you meet the authentic local people. Yeah. Um, and they tell you what it's really like. They tell you straight mm -hmm. up. Um, but they're also, you know, the nicest people I've ever met. They'd mm -hmm. they'd put their life in the line for you really mm -hmm. um they'd always make sure you were doing okay make sure you had food water that you, that you knew that you were safe and that if there's any issue you could come to them etc mm -hmm. and they're always chatty always i suppose keen to learn about ireland as well because i'd mm -hmm. show them pictures of here and mm -hmm. and they'd show me pictures of you know they would say if they didn't live in the village directly but out further in the countryside they'd show me pictures of their homes there and they talk about their families yeah. and you kind of just You'd learn from them and they'd learn from you. And it was yeah. just, for me, it was intriguing and for them, extremely intriguing as well. So mm -hmm. so the question I asked you before, I remember, was like, how, how are you going to solve the problem with all those different languages? What language are you going to speak with those people? And at the time, you didn't know. Yeah. Now, surely, you know. So would you <coughs> share that with us? How, how did that work? Because I, I presume, like, you go into the village in Zambia. Like, yeah. are, are people speak English there? Um, Not all of them would, but you'd be surprised so some of these countries were ex-british colonies mm -hmm. so english would still be widely spoken and still taught in school so you'd always find a couple of teachers the english teachers mm -hmm. or else they'd find you mm -hmm. so w when you come into these villages um in the countryside especially um as soon as you'd cycle in everyone in the village would be out to see you because mm -hmm. that not happen too often no no not obviously in europe or america any or even asia anymore but africa i suppose just for them to see what they call a mzungu a white person mm -hmm. on a bicycle in their village i mean it's exciting for them because these uh, you know these local people they don't have the iphones we have now they don't have laptops and direct access to internet so mm -hmm. they're i suppose they don't have a whole they don't have a big idea of the outside world we'll say mm -hmm. um so when they see you come in on the bicycle, A, they've known you come from afar. B, they know that you're from outside of, mm -hmm. we'll say, because like I'd had Irish tap on, so they, they'd know I was from Ireland and mm -hmm. they'd obviously know Ireland wasn't in Africa. Mm -hmm. So they'd just, they'd all come running out, greeting you, waving, asking mm -hmm. how are you, how you are. Uh, that The ones with English, but some of them would only have very basic English. They'd have like, hi, how are you, things like that. Mm -hmm um but then you'd always have the ones with with, with proper english as okay. well who'd, who'd be able to speak so overall that that wasn't a big problem 
Um, not so much. So we'll say Sudan and Ethiopia was more difficult, definitely. But I mm-hmm. learned a few words of Arabic mm-hmm. and a few words of Amharic. Oh, okay. um, just enough to get by on. Yes. Um, so we'll say I forget the words now, but I'd I'd learn certain words for food because especially Sudan it's just kind of the same food you'd get outside of the major towns and cities mm-hmm. so you'd get this thing called fuel and then eggs so I'd learned the Arabic word for eggs or bread mm-hmm. and then if you went into like a we'd say these roadside truck stops you'd just mm-hmm. if they didn't have English you'd just say the word for eggs or, or bread or water or tea mm-hmm. and they'd, at least they'd know what you're talking about yeah or else what you do cheekily enough you obviously you, you'd never think of doing it here in the western world but mm-hmm. you'd walk into their kitchen area mm-hmm. and you'd literally open up the the lids of the, the pots and pans around the kitchen <laughs> and you'd just pint of what you wanted and that was and they'd have no hassle with that they wouldn't give out to you for coming in mm-hmm. usually you'd just tell them that you, you'd start pinting and then they'd kind of usher you in they'd kind of motion for right. you to come in and they'd hand you a plate and you just kind wow. of picked out whatever and then you just paid him whatever money he wanted for for the food and stuff like yeah. that. So, wow. but of course you wouldn't walk into a restaurant in mm-hmm. Killarney or Dublin or any place like yeah, that. Yeah, no, don't try that. <laughs> go into the chef. <laughs> don't try that at home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but out there we, I mean, I did it often, and but most of the time they just laugh. They just find it hilarious, you know. Just yeah, you know, the um, guy showed up on the bike yeah. and he's just like, hungry. <laughs> I'm not the surprised he's hungry. He just couldn't. <laughs> translate or who couldn't get through to the the owner and just instead walked in and mm-hmm. played at his own food and just quietly paid and sat outside <laughs> eating <laughs> and maybe went back for seconds and thirds <laughs> oh god that's funny um so what countries you're you're traveled from from through you you started in in egypt yeah in cairo so I, egypt yeah in cairo yeah so i went through 11 different countries so i started in egypt made my way south through sudan ethiopia there was ethnic conflicts in ethiopia so i flew uh, to uganda and then from uganda into kenya tanzania malawi zambia um into botswana mm-hmm. and then across to namibia and then into south africa so oh. there was a, a north to south crossing and then from east coast to west coast from tanzania to the coast of mm-hmm. south africa as well yeah hitting wow. the west coast so you kind yeah. of traversed across the southern part of africa from east to west as well right right so can we go just through each of these countries like in a chronological order yeah. and what you remember what was the highlights and what was the you know low points in in each each country yeah absolutely um so it started in in egypt so um I suppose high points of Egypt, locals again, this will be one of the high points for, for every country really. Um, mm-hmm. Locals were lovely. Um, food was nice. The food was spicy food. Mm-hmm. Um, so the guy, Mustafa, the guy I was staying with at the start, he told me that if you don't get sick from the Egyptian spicy food, that you shouldn't get sick from any food you eat in Africa. Wow. Because this food is, you can get it spicy, but thankfully I have a, I have a keen... Mm-hmm. Uh, keen eye for spicy food uh, i'm just trying to remember what else now the tea was lovely bad coffee in, e- in egypt but nice tea uh so they oh. have a big tea culture chai mm. it's called right uh so you get these small little glass yeah small little kind of glass cups and then it's the russian word for tea chai chai uh that's maybe it's more universal yeah, than just russian word for yeah it. it's the same in egypt sudan and ethiopia as well oh. But most countries wouldn't understand chai. Right. Do What's the Chinese for chai? Maybe that's where Maybe, it comes yeah. from. Chai, <laughs> yeah. And then coffee is just coffee. Yeah. Spelled differently, of course, but just coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, the pyramids, yeah. the Great Pyramids of Giza, all the temples. So that's just... so that's interesting because you're like you said you didn't have like a time you know you were you were you, you did not try to. You know, do it in like you know eighty days or something. No, no, I took so my time. You, so you I took, could do. You t- took the breaks and you yeah. took time to actually enjoy yeah. places <clears throat> you were visiting and pyramids and waterfalls and so on and so forth. So yeah, I mean, great. look, there's so many beautiful things in Africa to go see. So I, I had a list of the main attractions I wanted to mm-hmm. see. We'd we'll say the Pyramids of Giza, the Victoria Falls. Uh, I wanted to. Well, I was able to cycle past Mount Kilimanjaro. I wanted to see the Indian Ocean. I wanted to see the temples in Egypt. I wanted to see the mm-hmm. Sahara Desert. 
uh, I would say the Sassafle Dunes in in Namibia, the Okavango Delta in mm-hmm. Botswana, yeah, uh, the Lake Malawi. There was just certain things in certain countries that I just didn't want to miss, and thankfully, mm. the route I was on took me very close to these. Now, some you had to do some small little detours, mm-hmm. um, but for the most part, they were along along the pathway I was on, so it was it was it was nice like that. Um, mm-hmm. Because I mean, it's not like you're in Africa every year, every day, or anything like mm-hmm. that. You know, these are kind of trips you do. I suppose I mean that cycle trip was obviously a once in a lifetime opportunity now I ideally I want to travel to Africa more and more now throughout mm-hmm. the rest of my life but um it's you not got the African bug now you yeah, know you yeah, need to come that's back that's the quote once Africa's in your blood that's it you, it'll never leave you I so. I heard I heard that many times I yeah, even it's contagious I, I even heard about a guy who went for like a long safari trip uh to Africa uh, to, like you like you said to get Africa out of my system. Yeah. And he says like, Never well, worked. it didn't work for me because 130 trips later, I'm still... <laughs> it's like just malaria. Once it's in you, that's it. It's injecting you for the rest <laughs> of your life. So that's what Africa does to you. There's something about it. Yeah, yeah. So Egypt was, uh, was uh, you know, it was like a first country. So you didn't really... Um, no, you said you had like a, your first breakdown. Really, it was in Egypt. Like, yeah, I mean, you, well, it, I wouldn't it kind of occur to you, like, yeah, don't was, really, like, yeah, this is happening. Yeah, yeah, it was more of a. I had a couple, a few cries in Egypt twice because I was people leaving people, and mm-hmm. then the other time, I think the, the, the third time it happened, I was just tired because I'd been on the bike for nearly eight hours, and mm-hmm. actually the police were right behind me and they were getting on my nerves because they were kind of shouting at me to hurry on and it was extremely windy and i was i was gonna ask because like a, a especially and again i'm just trying to recall from from your updates and it was just unreal to read those updates and just see you know on instagram and on twitter yeah. what's going on it was it was really good like initially you have a lot of kind of annoying encounters with police which i which i kind of have uh you know with with that one trip that I was in Africa, I also kind of witnessed that kind of checkpoints and, and so on and so forth. But initially, like in Egypt, they insisted on escorting you. Yeah, so I suppose a big bit of background. Egypt's a, it's a military state now. Um, mm-hmm. So the military are in complete control, General Sisi, since uh, their revolutions, um, they overthrew... I suppose a leader who was democratically elected and they mm-hmm. got rid of him after a year. So he's been in Sisi's been in charge since twenty fourteen fifteen, but they're extremely paranoid about tourists in their country. Really, Egypt? Yeah, yeah. I thought you, that Egypt is like a tourist is like a no, it is. But that's main, the, main, oh, that's why. Yeah, so they rely heavily on tourists. So that's why they're paranoid about their safety more than anything. Um, ah, okay. So usually, when a tourist goes to Egypt, everything's mm-hmm. pre-booked. You usually you book with a tour company. They have everything organized. Your papers oh, okay. are in order. Okay, so everything uh, has to be sorted out up yeah. front, and, and that then, was where you made them feel uncomfortable. Yes, of what course. is this guy doing Because here? here Nothing me, pre-booked with yeah. the bike. Here comes me on a bicycle, and <laughs> when they started questioning me as to where I was going, who was I was staying with, why I was here, mm-hmm. where I was going to be on X and such night, I just told them that I'm on a bicycle. I don't know. I could be, I could be in Sudan tomorrow, or I could be back in Cairo tomorrow. They just, you know, as in, not yeah. that you're being a smart ass, but. I just didn't know where I was going to be every night. Nothing was pre-booked. Um, and they just didn't like those answers, of course. Um, <laughs> but I think... So, look, long story short, a few weeks before I arrived into this place, a couple of other cyclists had passed through and they were let go, okay? They were mm-hmm. con- let continue on. Um, it just seems that some, we'll say, of these generals are more serious than others. Mm-hmm. Um, so some turn a blind eye and they let you continue on others agree to an escort where they drive behind you mm-hmm. and then other times such in my case they absolutely firmly tell you that you are absolutely not cycling um, so <laughs> what originally what they wanted me to do was to turn my bicycle around mm-hmm. against the wind um, and cycle back to Cairo right. and organize my trip through a tour company 
mm-hmm. and then to cycle back out to them with my papers in order. Now I knew straight away that <laughs> that's not this happening. was not a rule. I th- I did not have to do this. Mm-hmm. So we just kind of stayed negotiating and in, in discussions and stuff like that. And um, it was all in English. You're they, they, they yeah they, yeah they, in English yeah. So anyways, la- again, long story short, um, I ended up I was with a Spanish guy who was also staying with Mustafa, the guy I was staying with. Now mm-hmm. I hadn't planned to meet him or anything like that. He was just another cyclist. Mm-hmm. So he turned around and said, if this was going on all day now, this was evening time now, three, four o'clock in the afternoon. And this wow. started at like, so we, we, we were with him five, six, seven hours or something. So just he, talking with him? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just trying to negotiate saying that we weren't going back to Cairo and that they wanted us to go back. But anyways, we basically said to them that they were ruining our experience of Egypt, which they didn't take too kindly. They got kind of upset then and they were like, oh, no, no, like very paranoid. Like, no, 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 we, we don't want that to happen. And then wow. Ruben, the Spanish guy said, OK, well, leave us go. There, he was like, there's a beach over there. We'll go along the beach. And the guy was like, stop, just just go. Don't tell me no more. So Really? Yeah. And this this led into trouble a few days later. So anyways, we took off on our bicycles but in that same time, another guy who was helping me had spoken to the police on my behalf and got a promise off the chief of the police of the Red Sea government where I was mm-hmm. that if I took a lift to Hargada, which was 200 kilometers south, that I, I'd be let cycle after that. So uh-huh. I didn't have to go back to Cairo. I could continue if I took a lift for 200 kilometers. Yes. So I weighed up my options. And then he said that if the police catch me cycling on the way to Hargada, on the highway that they would arrest me and bring me back to Cairo and either I would be sent home to Ireland or mm-hmm. sent back in a plane or else that I'd have to organize the trip to a tour company. But he was like, worst case, you're going to be sent home out of the country for not obeying their orders. Mm-hmm. So I was like, this was day two. So I was like, the whole trip could finish today right. if I just don't do what they tell me to do. And then I kind of just said, look, it's, the second day I have all of Africa to cycle. I can easily cycle 200 kilometers in another place where I won't be, yeah. I suppose, harassed by the police. So I, I hitched the lift, took the lift and that was day two. That was the excitement on day two. Wow. Then a few days later, I got another phone call and the police were looking for me because the official story that went up to the hierarchy. Now, the thing with the police in Egypt is that it's not just the ground force that are in control. This goes up to the generals, the military. Yes. And sometimes the government, depending on the seriousness of the situation. So a few days later, I get a phone call. Tomas, you don't have to tell me where you are, but it's probably in your best interest because the police are looking for you. So I told the guy who was on the phone to me where I was. He called the police. And then the police were supposed to come to the hotel I was staying at, but they never did. And I was kind of left alone until I got back into, we'll say, central Egypt, going to London Isle. So at this stage, I was at the coast, the Red Sea coast. And it was when I went back onto the Nile again that the the police picked me up again. But they were, they just gave me escorts. Now they did try to get me to go into the Jeep so that, so what they do is that when they escort you, mm-hmm. they take you from checkpoint to checkpoint. But some checkpoints could only be five kilometers down the road, but they just don't want the hassle of having to look after you because God forbid anything to happen to you while you were in their care. Yeah. So after the first running with the police, I just understood it from their point of view that, they don't want to be looking after me and I don't want them to look after me. I, I don't, you know, I yeah, didn't feel... You, you had them like a mutual understanding yeah, I didn't here. feel <laughs> as if I was in danger that I needed two policemen and then four other policemen in the back of the Jeep, all armed, like <laughs> military men to be looking after me. Um, So, but that's that's what, what happened. They'd insist on escorting me. This wasn't arranged. I didn't want it. They didn't want to do it, but it was just, they had to do it because they were given orders from above. He's on a bicycle... He's no protection. Give him protection. But I, I got on with them after that then. I just, I changed approach instead of complaining and trying to argue with them. Mm-hmm. I just had the fun with them, had the crack, made them laugh, made them feel at ease. Right. And told them I was very fast at cycling. And then they believed me and we just had, we had good fun after that. And yeah. at the end of the day, they're just normal people doing their jobs, yeah. doing what they're told. Yeah, so. they're probably equally annoyed by the whole situation as you were. Who wants to drive behind the cyclist? Now, I am would have been one of the faster touring cyclists. I was able to hold, we'll say, 25 kilometers an hour on a fully loaded bike, which is quite quick. Yeah. Whereas other people could be doing 15 or something. 
Oh my um, god. So, but I mean, even Dune 25, where I, where I thought I was Superman riding as fast as I could, these guys are stuck driving behind me mm-hmm. with other cars beeping at them because they're holding up traffic because of me. So you uh, also kind of feel like a nuisance as well, that. Yeah. Do you know, I'm here just wanting to enjoy myself riding my bicycle, but I have this police presence behind me and then people are getting frustrated because obviously yeah. the road isn't extremely wide. So sometimes you're, you're holding up traffic and then the other side of it as well was that the locals were too scared to talk to you because it was a military state. These people could get into trouble for talking or trying to help you. Right. So wow. staying with local people was out of the question because if I were to stay with a local person, they would have to sign all these different papers, let the police know, let the secret police know, let the military know that oh I was with God. them just again. God forbid if anything yeah. happened and then yeah. something if something bad happened to me, yeah. Egypt would get a bad name again. Because again, the perception of Africa, if a terrorist attack happens in Egypt, it's mm-hmm. the end of the world that's in terms they, that's of, oh, you can't go to Egypt yeah. anymore, it's too dangerous. Yeah. But if a terrorist attack happened in London, oh, it's okay, it's it's fine, we have all this under control yeah. in France and et cetera. So. Yeah. Wow. So, so Egypt was not fun. I still enjoyed it. I mean cycling with a police presence behind you i mean yeah it was irritating at times but other times you were just kind of like this is like you feel like importance yeah (laughs) these guys are behind you even when i was out in the desert a number of armed men yeah kind of watching after i mean it was totally ridiculous but at the same time you were just kind of like just giggling to yourself about the whole situation like yeah it was only we'll say 10 days before that i was at home in ireland cycling around Slayhead, and Mm -hmm. you had no police nobody would bat an eyelid at you but now here you are in egypt and all the locals are waving at you people are driving and you'd actually sometimes i was worried that they'd crash because the drivers would stick their head out the window so far to wave at you and say hello wow. that you think that they take their eyes off the road and that they were going to lose control or hit something in front of them uh, but even when i went through aswan which would have been the last major town between egypt and the sudanese border mm-hmm um there so after aswan there isn't um, there's another place called abu Simbel, but it's a small town but they have the famous abu Simbel temple mm-hmm. but in between aswan and abu Simbel, it's 370 kilometers and there's absolutely nothing out there uh but even then the police insisted on following me wow. so i remember one day i pulled into this abandoned building and i just wanted to sit down and have lunch because i was getting hungry mm-hmm. and the sun was beaming down on top of me it was nearly 40 degrees and this poor policeman was driving behind me all day and he'd no other choice but to do it because again he was given the orders yeah and then here i was just sitting at this abandoned building no civilization this poor guy in the police car telling me to hurry up because he did he was pretty rude now as well all day because he was telling me to hurry on to hurry on to hurry on because i wouldn't get in the car with him okay because <laughs> yeah, i was just like i'm not I'm he here was to like cycle. listen get on the car and let's have it be, you know have it past us like let's let's yeah, you know, yeah, let's no, do 100 I'm kilometers an hour and i'll have you at where you ever you want to go <laughs> and then eventually by the end of the day they just got so sick of me that they just drove off <laughs> yeah because actually now that i remember <laughs> um i met another english guy cycling that day uh-huh. and i he had lost his transport he had lost his um police escort because again they just got fed up and drove off uh-huh. but when i met him i got up to him and i bought my escort to him okay so anyways as you do when you meet a fellow cyclist um so this guy was cycling from egypt to et to kenya because he wanted to he's been cycling in africa over a number of years mm-hmm. but doing we'll say shorter trips but he wanted to reconnect his lines so he started from south africa oh okay did a trip in south africa and then anyways he was reconnecting his lines so i met i met him anyways he was from england so we got chatting away and my police car was behind me we were side by side for about nearly an hour and then all of a sudden the wind just went crazy and i was going a little bit faster and i just mm-hmm. wanted to finish a bit quicker so i could eat and relax mm-hmm. so i just gradually took off now i didn't do so when I was with him, we were doing, I think it was about 12 kilometers an hour. Mm-hmm. And I bumped the pace up to 15. Mm-hmm. But of course, over the next half an hour, I yeah. got in the gap and he was out of sight. But yeah. I noticed the police car obviously got stuck behind him with who to stay with. So they stayed behind him and not me. So anyways, fast forward another half an hour, 45 minutes. <laughs> this police car was firing down the road in front of me 
sirens full blast. And as soon as they saw me, they pulled it in front of me and blocked me off. And then they jumped out. Again, guns out. They jumped out. You, you, you try escape. You try escape. <laughs> <laughs> and I just kind of stood there. And now I was kind of weak from the hunger at this stage. But I just started laughing. And I just looked around. And I was like, escape to where? I was like, yeah, I'm doing 15 kilometers an hour. Like, I was like, you could literally give me a weak head start. And you'd probably catch me in two days time. Yeah. I was like, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, and he's like, "No, no, you escape. My 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 colleague calls you escape. You another cyclist," <laughs> and I was like, "I'm just going faster than him." But I was like, "I'm not escaping anywhere." Like, I was like, <laughs> "I'm going to," oh, I don't know where I was going to, but I was like, "I'm just going straight down the road." I was like, "I'm not going anywhere," and I was like, "Look around you. It's all sand." Yeah. So then he kind of, I think he kind of put two and two together and realized it downed on him like, "Yeah, yeah maybe he's not actually going anywhere." And I was <laughs> like, I was pale white at the stage. I was like. I'm from Ireland where it's very cold. I wouldn't last more than a day in that heat out there in the sand. I was like, I've, there's no water, there's no food. I was like, you put me out there and I'm not going to survive out there. So then he kind of started laughing again, just having the crack with them, just Jeez. making them feel at ease and not being cheeky, arguing with them. So, wow. Yeah, and that, that, that really just summed up Egypt, just the bizarreness of it all, really. Wow. <laughs> well, that's that's what it is in, in those police states or, or those uh kind of totalitarian i don't know for the wonder of a better word stays this is like an absurdity and yeah and just like a regular folks stuck with it and like you said they were given orders and yeah, that's it, yeah. if if all that was left you know how how it naturally played out it would probably played out much better than than this that they had to just stick to the but i'm kind of glad it happened oh. as well because at least it just kind of it kept things interesting and, and, and you know, you were kept entertained because every day I got in the bike in Egypt, I was just like, what's going to happen today? Right. You know, right. I mean, another another time I met a, a cop called The Butcher <laughs> and he was telling me all about all these people he killed and he was famous in Egypt and he was telling me, showing me articles about him and oh, how Jesus. his girlfriend broke up with him and at one stage he used to be skinny like me, but now he's kind of, wouldn't call him fat, but chubby for yeah. want of a better word, uh -huh. because his girlfriend broke up and broke his heart and he was found himself eating ice cream and <laughs> sweets and chocolate. Another time, at kids, teenagers, so they have these things called tuk-tuks. Uh -huh. And it's usually teenagers driving them and they're absolutely just ridiculous drivers. Um, anything from eight onwards, really. But these guys in a tuk-tuk were driving on the other side of the road. As soon as they saw me on the bicycle, they drove onto my side. Uh -huh. Then they drove at me and one of them tried to hit me with a stick. Oh, geez. Later on that day, kids threw stones at me when I was passing over a bridge. Mm -hmm. um, so Egypt kept things interesting. But then, yeah. of course, you did the beauty side of it. You had, you know, the lovely weather, the lovely local people, again, mm -hmm. the drivers yeah. going crazy as soon as they saw you trying to get your attention, waving yeah. at you. You had the... Um, you had just the incredible history, the temples, mm -hmm. the pyramids, and oh my God, yeah. it's just how the Egyptian people put these together centuries and centuries ago, mm -hmm. and the fact that they're still standing, the mm -hmm. fact that the, the well, not graffiti, but the drawings on the walls mm -hmm. are still there, and the color of them as well. Yeah. Do you know? And then just the designs, and that they're still here, and it's just absolutely, it's a country I definitely want to go back to. Mm-hmm um because you can get a, a four-week visa but you're gonna you're gonna pre-book everything this time yeah 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 pre-book everything this time yeah. just uh, to be on the safe side and not to i suppose attract the law onto you as well yeah yeah can you pull that a little bit closer yeah, to you sorry. yeah perfect um okay so 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 that's egypt and then you get to the border with sudan yeah okay did we miss anything <coughs> in egypt um after that abu simbel got the f boat across the lake nasar which is the the i just don't want to miss anything you know that you yeah, you no. would like to specifically talk um, about um no that was kind of the end of, of egypt then um yeah. and so then you go to sudan now tell me about sudan. sudan because like somehow in my head it's like that sudan is uh place where horrible things happen and it's 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 really dangerous and yeah so was that um, your experience with sudan not my experience but i mean sudan is a. I mean for me it's easily the uh, my favorite country in the whole world 
country I, I just I, I loved Sudan absolutely loved it but some horrible things have happened in Sudan you go to the Darfur region mm-hmm. in West Sudan the atrocities the government yeah. have committed there is just sickening you go to South Sudan where where they've been they've had a brutal civil war which is now separate from the Republic of Sudan mm-hmm. but South Sudan is Christian um, majority mm-hmm. Sudan itself is Muslim so there was atrocities committed yeah. there and that's why South Sudan eventually got fed up and broke away but now they're in civil war since 2013 yeah. Um, so yeah it's it's a complex it's what's happened in Sudan has just been extremely sad because um, they've just the local people just don't have it easy but my mm. god they would almost take the skin off their back and help you if they had to they are just the kindest souls i've ever met in my life and i just mm. absolutely just fell in love with the country mm. and if i didn't have to go if cape town wasn't the goal mm-hmm. i'd have happily have just remained in sudan wow. um it's a country although it's in a bit of anarchy now at the moment again mm-hmm. um i do want to go back i have friends in sudan uh, who I'm actually very worried about at the moment because I can't get through to them because there's an internet blackout. Wow. At the moment, um, there's lots of protests going on. The people want um, power bought back to the people because yeah. they've been they've had a brutal dictatorship since 1989. Mm-hmm. He's gone and he's been replaced with the guy who committed all the tr- atrocities in West in West Sudan in, in the Defar region. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's pretty crazy what's going it's on there at the like, moment. It's always like you have a one asshole and then another comes after. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a pity. Um, so hopefully power will be brought back to the people. But I mean, at the moment, it's it's not looking good. Um, mm. But easily my favorite country of Africa. Loved it. Um, started off in Sudan, you're straight into the Sahara Desert, mm-hmm. which was extremely challenging um had a few breakdowns there i think i spent about 10 to 12 days getting through the desert mm. as i made my way towards khartoum um but again i mean i was cycling by myself um but luckily enough there was these truck stops at the end of every day where i just p- pitch up and sleep mm-hmm. you had your tent with you yeah so sometimes i use my tent other times they had these cot beds and I just throw my tent cover on it mm-hmm. and I just sleep with the locals in, in, in these cot beds. Right. We all had single cot beds, but you're in, in a room with all the locals and not once did I ever fear for myself, for my safety, for my gear, for my belongings, for my bicycle. Mm. Not once did anybody ever try to take anything off me. And don't want to sound cheeky or disrespectful or anything, but the belongings I had would have been worth a lot of money to them mm-hmm. um but again they didn't even c- consider taking anything off me hmm. they were just the nicest people um that, that you'd ever meet in your life yeah. and i had great great times with them hmm. very welcoming people always there to help you um so at these truck stops if i was sitting by myself and a group of men it was always men that's another thing i suppose that's one of the the not so nice things about these Muslim countries is their attitude towards women and mm-hmm. kind of, I suppose, the, the role of, of women in, in, in their societies. But um, so you'd have a group of men sitting down and the thing with these Muslim countries is everybody eats together, everybody mm-hmm. shares. So you'd have them on a mat and they might have, we'll say, 10 dishes in front of them um, and they're all just eating together and they'd see me sitting by myself and they'd all stop eating and they'd insist I come over and you know the way us Irish people are you're like oh no 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 I'm fine I'm fine I'm grand yeah. although you did want to go over to them mm-hmm. <coughs> um, but they wouldn't take no for an answer so one of them would eventually they'd come over and essentially just drag you over to them and mm-hmm. they'd sit you down and they'd keep pushing food in front of you and it right. didn't matter and then once you were finished they'd order more food right right so they keep feeding you keep feeding you keep feeding you and then after that, you'd the traditional chai, the tea, yeah. they'd bring you tea. And then sometimes they'd have watermelon or else somebody would have snuck off without you knowing. And they'd come back with maybe a juice or a small wow. small cake or a chocolate bar or something like wow. that. And they wouldn't take any money for it. So you try pay them because yeah, it was just what we do here at home. Yeah. Um, just to be okay. Yeah, but they absolutely wouldn't take any money off you. Wow. And, you know, the Sudanese currency is very weak at the moment. For mm-hmm. me. So, again, not wanting to sound disrespectful, but for me, 
this was pennies because Sudan's a very cheap country, so you yeah. could get tea for like five or ten cent or something. Yeah. Whereas here wow. it's you'd get a cup of tea and they'd charge you two euros for the for the bloody tea bag, never mind getting a pot of tea or anything. Yeah. Um and absolutely they wouldn't take any money off you. They wouldn't do it for profit. They wouldn't do it because We'll, wow. say, we'll be speaking about Ethiopia next, but Ethiopia was the opposite then in most places. They'd overcharge you because of your skin color, but in Sudan, uh-huh. absolutely, they'd, That's they'd, interesting. they'd be disgusted if you offered them money. So yeah. after a while, I you wouldn't s- offer them. I'd stop this. because they just didn't like it. Because yeah. they, they thought that they... They thought that you thought that they were doing it so that they'd make money off you, and that was absolutely not the case. Wow. Even some places, they'd refuse to take money off you to eat. Wow. Do you know? Because... Usually, like, like one, the first day, actually, in the desert, I just, I, yeah, the first day, I, I had a bit of a breakdown. Couldn't stop crying. And um, I had about 95 kilometers in by half 12 in, the, in, 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 yeah, in just before lunchtime. And I stopped. I found a truck stop. And I just didn't want to keep cycling because I just wasn't mm-hmm. in the head of space to keep going. And there wasn't anything out there anyways. <clears throat> so I stopped into this truck stop and lovely guys who ran it and i just felt at home with them and just my mood improved as the day went on these these two guys who were working there just chatted away to me they come and they go and then more and more people were coming as the day went on so people would stop in to eat and you get chatting to other people um and eventually i think i suppose i did so much food during the day and drank so much because there just wasn't any you're in the middle of a desert yeah you know you're just kind of sitting down wandering around quizzing them about their life and stuff and then i think eventually they just didn't charge me for anything would say if i had i think i'd breakfast or the next day and they wouldn't charge me for it yeah and just again just all the goodness out of their hearts and they gave me a juice going away or a can of coke or something and they said that's you know for your journey best of luck with you and and amazing yeah yeah, yeah. amazing wow so then sudan was was like um like that you yeah the whole so, way through so i i remember from from the last time when we spoke on on the previous uh podcast one thing stuck with me that you said that it is surprising how little you need to to live and on the, on those trip you kind yeah. of realize how little you need and i guess when i hear what you're saying right now is like it, it it's surely one thing that you need is food and and it must be very touching to to feel that those people are offering you food like one of the few things that you really need in your life and yeah. and, and they're kind of understand that probably that's why they they doing that it must yeah. be it must be kind of very encouraging for kind yeah, of like the absolutely. you know for uh how to say it for believing in humankind right it's like yeah there are good people like genuinely good absolutely people. yeah i mean just like i said that day was i was struggling that day but then by that evening you're just full of life again because mm. again like i'm struggling just for small reasons missing home mm-hmm feeling irrelevant lonely in this mm-hmm. desert and then you're kind of thinking well you know these guys are out here all the time just mm-hmm. trying to make life. a living yeah um and that was it and you kind of just appreciate that then that you know they're hard-working people mm-hmm. and that i suppose they, they have a tough tough life. yeah and they have much bigger problems than you did and and that yeah. they were dishonest they were it's not mm-hmm. dishonest sorry that they were dishonest that they were so honest that here they were do you know and i mean look they they obviously do enough to make a living but here they were handing out free food to this foreigner who mm-hmm. i suppose didn't need free food handed out to him yeah you could easily have paid for it and obviously willing to pay for it but yeah again they wouldn't take money Amazing. for it they just wanted to help and yeah. that was it they just wanted to play a part in in, in your journey no matter how small wow. or big that part was and yeah. it was just touching and you think and then when you had low moments after that that there are moments you think of then yeah being like yeah okay i don't feel good right now but look at all the good things that have happened mm-hmm. all the people you've met all the the generosity you've received and that was kind of another reason why i wanted to get to cape town was that mm-hmm. i suppose obviously most of these people wouldn't know if i finished or not because it was just a passing 
Yeah. Do you know, you're just meeting them as you pass mm-hmm. through and granted some got your number if you spent long enough with them and they wanted to keep in touch, but others you might just have a sit down and have a quick chat and yeah. you're gone again. But even in just my own head that I knew that I finished a trip mm-hmm. kind of for them as well that yeah do you know they wanted to play a part in me getting to cape town they played the part and i kind of played the part yeah just to keep going and i kind of played the part in getting to cape town and yeah and it's amazing yeah amazing so sudan overall was much better experience than egypt i I take for Uh, i suppose less stressful um equally is interesting in in other ways but yeah yeah i wouldn't say i didn't enjoy egypt but it was just you know it was just but if you're if you're on the if go you, all the if time you have if you had to take a time machine and and redo egypt or sudan i presume oh, you would, sudan you yeah. would do sudan yeah, yeah, That's yeah, what I, have an, I have an awful soft spot for sudan yeah but then you go into ethiopia and it was like going from heaven to hell okay so next one is ethiopia Ethiopia, yeah i look beautiful country beautiful coffee um most people were very very nice what about uh, these stone throwers in Ethiopia? Yeah, like, nobody I, I knows. I felt like again from your from your updates that the that the main theme in Ethiopia was people throwing stones at you. Yeah, both kids, both kids and adults. But I mean, nobody understands. There's so many different reasons given. The parents throw stones at the kids to get their attention for dinner if they misbehave. Uh, the people are bored. Uh, the country's never been colonized officially before. Granted, Italy invaded them in the 1930s for a few years um they're very territorial there's 94 different ethnic groups in ethiopia mm-hmm. and a lot of them argue with each other they don't get on that's uh, why the conflict is right now yeah yeah exactly yes. yeah um mm. well there seems to be a constant conflict there but we only hear when things explode yeah now like again i was there when there was conflict in the north and that one didn't hit mainstream news because it was small conflict but it was still mm-hmm. people were dying but then the conflict in the south while I was still there as well. Mm-hmm. That hit mainstream news because that went out of control and they reckon it was the worst ethnic conflict they've ever seen in Ethiopia, or in recent memory at least anyways, I suppose. Wow. Um, but then, yeah, you just have... But then people throw stones because you're white, because you're foreign, because you don't give them attention. It's just a million and one different reasons. Nobody can pinpoint it. Right. So that was not like a one thing that they... No, I think... Because it was, it was just their way yeah. of expressing whatever was on their mind at the yeah, moment. Yeah, I think so. I mean, okay, the first few days, because of the ethnic conflict, they were the quietest days I probably had in most of Africa, bar the desert stretches, because there mm-hmm. was ethnic conflict. People were confined to their villages. Mm-hmm. The thing Ethiopia is people don't drive because there's like a... 200% tax on cars is ridiculous so cars are ex- extremely expensive mm-hmm. so only the wealthier people have cars Whoa. so in the countryside very few people have cars so mm-hmm. everybody walks you walk to your village you walk to the next village you walk to towns another thing with Ethiopia is there is I think 100 million people living there right now mm-hmm. so and it's not it's a big country but it's not like a gigantic country yeah. so there's people everywhere um, right density high density yeah so there's people absolutely everywhere and of course because they're walking they're just they're everywhere so you couldn't take a pee without somebody seeing you at the side of the road like i mean it was just crazy how much people were there but the first few days they weren't because they were confined to the towns and villages now the thing with the villages is very it only happened in a couple of occasions where people would throw stones mostly kids mm-hmm. but it was more so in the countryside I, because I think the thing with the countryside as well is people could run away quicker and escape quicker and hide quicker. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the villages, you're running into somebody's house or into your own house. So you could easily run to the house as well because you know where they went. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, look, some adults yeah. would throw stones as well. And the only thing you could do was stop and kind of confront them. Oh, really? And yeah. Now, I thankfully, it never got aggressive and I wouldn't let it get aggressive. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd stop and say something like, if you throw that stone, I'll bait the head off you. Anything like that. But you wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. But you just kind of threaten them and they'd drop the stone. But they couldn't understand you anyways. But once that you came across as if you were looking angry, mm-hmm. they'd kind of leave you alone then. Because <clears throat> I think the thing is they don't expect you to stop. So usually you get stoned at your back. Oh, okay. Interesting. Because they would wait for you. To pass. I think a lot of the time mm-hmm. they were just looking for attention. Um... Yeah, I, 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 I just nobody knows because I mean, I, I've heard of some horrific stories that 
not so long after I passed through a French guy had a stone hit off his head mm-hmm. now for some reason he wasn't wearing a helmet which is probably the stupidest thing you could do in Ethiopia yeah. so he wasn't wearing a helmet so he got a stone thrown from the top of, from above him cracked open his head oh jeez another French guy oh excuse me sorry another French guy got stabbed in the back again kind of his own fault somehow <clears throat> he caught the kid who threw a stone at him and wouldn't let go and walked the kid back into the village and confronted the whole village about the kid <laughs> and then some guy after a while came up and stabbed him in the back another guy had a stick thrown into his spokes so he went front flip over the bike smashed his full front face even in recent enough another guy again I don't know why he was doing it he had one flag of a certain region went into the next region with the same flag into like the rival region oh, and some God. guy who got drunk hit hit him with a stick a few times. So you're just kind of like common sense, like just don't yeah. do anything that will attract attention. You're not going to... As if you're not attra- attracting enough attention yeah. already. Exactly. It's not like you're going to go down... Cycling. Yeah. It's not like you're going to go down the Falls Road up in Belfast with a, mm. a Union Jack and yeah. playing God Save the Queen on your mobile phone and yeah. speakers... I mean, you're asking for trouble. Yeah. Do you know? It's yeah. like, it's anything like that, you know? You're, you're just going to ask for trouble. If you go out of your way to upset people, you're going to upset people. And that's what yeah. happened. But again, most of the people in Ethiopia, I don't want to diss the country completely. Most of the people were fine. Another thing that kind of, I suppose, get got on, on my nerves and other people's nerves as well is they'd always overcharge you. Yeah. People would see you as a walking ATM machine. They'd give you a price, and when you left the following day, they'd up the price again. Uh, they took advantage of you. Um, because they go, know you have no choice. Yeah, that you, you pay for it. But even something small like we were looking for duct tape one day, and they wanted $40 for the duct tape. <laughs> and it was just like, they make it blatant obvious and stuff like that. So, um, But that was more so in the town's than the countryside mm-hmm. yeah so um, how was it was it like uh, on on one end it seems like you were you you sh- you would be trying to get as quickly as possible past that you know hostile environment and, and i'm 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 using word hostile because you know people throwing stones at you but at the same time that that was over a number of days so you had to stop somewhere and interact yeah. with people and like how how did that work out? Because you you would think like when you're gonna stop you, they're gonna just throw more stones at you, and it's nothing. Gonna yeah. Um, so you'd stay. So Ethiopia is very difficult to wild camp. So I didn't even try because again, there's too many people, and you just don't know what they're going to do if they find you wild camping. Yeah. Um. So I used to just stay in the villages or towns where you find accommodation, and you kind of just. Once you were in the village and towns, you were kind of safer because, I don't know, like, they weren't going to hurt you. That's one thing as well. Despite the fact that they were throwing stones, I never felt that anybody was actually physically going to hurt me. Um, so you felt reasonably safe as well. Um, so once you kind of got into the towns, villages, you find a place to stay, you get chatting to local people. And I suppose, in a way, some cyclists would kind of sneak in, find a place to stay and shut up shop and just... Mm. keep to themselves for the night but i kind of adopted the approach where the more people i spoke to the better because then everybody would know you were around yes so then you know it's very smart if anything happened they'd say oh john was speaking to him or mike was speaking to him or whatever the local guy was so yeah you know and then again because you were cycling because you were white because you were this novelty word would spread anyways and everybody would know that you're in a village because for some villages it was like it was excitement for them that oh mm-hmm. we have this mazungu staying with us do mm-hmm. you know and they'd just meet and greet you and make sure you're again like i said earlier make sure you're doing okay yeah. um so the village and towns i just go out and mix you might have a couple of beers have a bit of food you had to eat and a lot of these places you'd stay didn't do food so you'd have to you'd take a walk around the village and Mm-hmm. Usually I'd go for the busy local spots because mm-hmm. the more people, the more, again, not that I was extremely paranoid, but it's just common sense. The yes. more people, the more witnesses. So exactly. Again, if common anything happens. Common sense happened, is, uh, is a great. Yeah. And See, was it's it, like was street it? smartness. So yeah. I, after a while, like I was ripped off a couple of times in Egypt and you, you get cute. Again, you need these things to happen to you because you just need to learn from your mistakes. 
So you'd get ripped off at a hotel or you get ripped off at a at a place you went and eventually I kind of got the courage to say, no, that's not right. You said it was $5. Why are you charging me $10? And again, even though it's only $5, it's mm-hmm. just the fact that it's the principle of them ripping you off. Like I have a beam, we have a B&B at home and we have a pub and we do food. I wouldn't charge somebody more because they were of a certain type or a certain skin color or a certain race mm-hmm. or religion or a certain nationality or that they were wealthy people you yeah. charge everybody the same thing yeah um, but ethiopia it was different it was just you were white they'd overcharge you <laughs> and yeah. they'd openly admit it yeah. you know they'd say it's because you're a foreigner that's why we're charging you more because you can pay it and then another thing i used to do was when i got into whatever B&B or lodge I found to stay in, I'd ask for the, the lodge book because kind of by law, you'd have to sign in your name, your details. Mm-hmm. And at the end, they'd ask you how much you paid. So if I felt that they were ripping me off, I'd say, well, he paid this much. So either I pay you that much or I'm not staying here. Mm-hmm. So you kind of had to get tough with them as well. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. Because I mean, for me, it was a long trip. It was, yeah. I knew I was going to be there for, at least six months by the time I was in Ethiopia. So I was like, if I keep being ripped off here, I'm just they're just taking me for a fool and this can keep happening and I'm just gonna be bleeding money that yeah by the end of the trip I might be wishing I was like, Oh, do you know what? I spent an extra five hundred dollars in Ethiopia because I was being ripped off all the time. Yes. Do you know all it all adds up at the oh, end yeah. of the day. It's oh, five dollars yeah. one day and it could be for lunch as well, where it could be another five dollars I try to rip you off. That's oh. ten dollars by the end of the day. Yeah. And again it all adds up. Wow. Wow. Okay. So, the, so, so you gotta be cute. <laughs> you gotta be a bit cute as well. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's Ethiopia. Yeah. So after Ethiopia, there was ethnic conflict. So I flew to Uganda. Oh, okay. So that was it. That at some point in yeah. Ethiopia, I so said like, <clears throat> okay, no, I'm, I'm not, not yeah. continuing. It's too dangerous. And you took a plane. Yeah. So basically, in a nutshell, there was ethnic conflict in the south, and reports were coming out that were people were dying, people were dead, people were being shot dead. And that there was, you could see bodies at the side of the road. And I was just like, I didn't come here to see dead bodies at the side of the road. I don't mind dodging stones. We're not going there, down there dodging bullets from AK-47s. Excuse me, the interruption. Uh, it's been uh, over an hour already and we're only halfway through. So I decided to split that podcast into two parts. If you're enjoying it so far, please rate uh, that podcast on the platform that you're listening to it right now. And uh, tune in next week for another part, second and the final part, where I talk with Tom about his great adventure. You just listened to an archived episode of the Tommy's Outdoors Conservation and Science Podcast. I invite you to take a moment and listen to one of the most recent episodes. I'm sure you'll enjoy it.